Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the second half of the evening. Um, before we get started, this is actually being recorded. We don't just put these weird things around now. We've never used these before, so we're just figuring it out. But uh, for anyone that is listening on Saturday morning, we are in Adelaide and it's Friday night, so it's a bit of a time warp. Um, my, my partner in crime on the Australian Investors Podcast every Saturday morning is Drew Meredith, financial planner and director of Waddle Partners Financial Planning. Um, based in Melbourne, but have clients all over. You're seeing, I think you're seeing travel the today. country. Yeah. Travel the country. What a job. <laughs> and New Zealand during the week too. Yeah. So um, we, every week, we normally do a bit of a recap of what's happening in the economy and we have a bit of banter and then we answer questions. That's all we do. And um, fortunately, people seem to listen to it. <laughs> I still don't know why, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Uh, but maybe just to set the scene for anyone that doesn't know about Waddle Partners, you're our sponsor of the show. Um, tell us. Uh, we're, I mean, I was thinking about it before, we're kind of proudly boring. What we do is retirement and, and specialise in retirement. So uh, we advise people from 50 to 70 and do everything from superannuation with a big focus on investments as well as you can naturally kind of tell from our discussions. Yep. We go deep on investments. Yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, because we had Fatuma and Renato in Perth yesterday, which is fantastic. Um, two recent joiners as well. Yeah, two recent team members getting up on stage, which is great. Um, okay, so what we normally do each week is we do a bit of a recap. We've got some questions sent in advance. Uh, first of all, mate, what have you been up to this week? I heard you're on a bit of a junket. Yeah, I'm surprised I made it, to be honest. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we run another business that does uh, uh, education for financial advisors, so we're running an investment conference over in um, Queenstown during the week. But uh, as conferences do, it became a bit too much fun for the... Uh, Final two days. So, mm. um, so, how many businesses do you own or own uh, parts of? Six, seven, maybe? Six. I think it's six in total. Wow. Two bars, which probably don't count. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why won't they count? Well, I don't do anything there. I just turn up and get cheap drinks, to be honest. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's beneath Driver Lane in Melbourne. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a really good. Uh, how'd you describe it? It's like, we had the Great Gatsby theme there not too long ago, but what? Yeah, the Christmas party. We do like live blues on Fridays and Saturday nights. and. Uh, really nice cocktails and, and whiskey. Okay, so cocktails and whiskey by night, financial planner by day. Doesn't mix the two, just so we are fully across that if there are any clients in the room. Um, okay, and normally what we do is we talk a bit about the, con the economy and what's happened recently, how it affects people. Is there anything this week that caught your attention other than like the, the slopes in New Zealand? 
that caught my face more than my attention, but that was about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, we had, uh, so uh, I think it was Mary Jo Vergara, who's a chief economist at Kiwi Bank, and we kind of got a, a, a forward look into what's, you know, the New Zealand central bank's been more aggressive in hiking interest rates than any other part of the world, so we got a kind of a forward look into what might happen in Australia. So they've entered a recession, but they've still got great, you know, low unemployment and um, economies broadly is chipping away or going reasonably well. So it was kind of that property market hasn't particularly crashed, but rather all the gains that were made since the pandemic have kind of flattened out. So that was probably a unique part. She's not, she was calling for an interest rate cut as well. But she's an investor, so everyone would be Early next calling. Year. Yeah. yeah, okay, exactly. right, okay, yeah. Um, so we do have a lot of questions sent in advance. Like I said, if we do answer your questions, oh, there we go, a bit higher. If we do answer your question, uh, feel free. We don't have, we've got a bit of notes. We've got some of those ugly beanies left, which you're more than welcome to grab. But there's also some hoodies here. Um, also limited edition running out of stock because the actual designer's got a hold of the next batch. So that's the, what we've got left. Uh, but they're great, you know, you can wear them around the house. We don't uh, know anything about pay either. <laughs> 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 no, we know a lot about AI, but we don't know anything about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we use ChatGPT, but that's not There's actually a question about here. Uh, but the one that I thought was really interesting to get started with is, what is the most important lesson, investing-wise, you wish you could tell your younger self? And this is from James. So, James, if you're in the room... This is the second part of this question. Also, how has being an investor benefited running your own business? It's a good question. So first part, what would you tell yourself? Uh, I mean, for me, it was, it's just going to sound probably cliche, but get started earlier. So I think when, when that other first session that was on was talking about what, you know, what influenced your money habits over your, uh, your life and career, and I realised I was pretty much a tight ass for like 15 years and trying to squirrel away every single dollar for that entire period. And part of that's my parents ran their own business and were almost bankrupt. So I think I just saw that happen consistently. So it was, I just saved, saved, saved when I could have been, you know, buying property, buying a first house, investing in uh, markets, but did nothing for a long period of time. Mm, that's a good answer. Um, for me, it would be, I just wish I didn't waste as much time as someone who buys individual shares as well as ETFs, I wish I didn't waste as much time buying cheap stocks. It sounds silly, but a lot of people in the room can probably relate. Like, you go and find, like, the value like stocks. The low price high of interest. High dividend yields. No, just go and buy the best companies and just literally just hold on to them. And it's easier said than done because they bounce all over the place. But, like, for example, there are many... Don't, my two biggest shareholdings uh, are... Promedicus, which is a medical technology company, and another company called Zero, which does the accounting software. Is it show of hands who's heard of Zero? Most of the room. Awesome. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Yes. Um, uh, as a shareholder, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see you all using it. Uh, and as uh, as a business owner, what could I say about that? Well, I think there's so much that I've learned from being a business owner that translates to investing. We've all heard the cliches of the quotes. But what I would probably say is that at the end of the day, what makes a good business is to sell something for more than the cost to make it. Uh, and that's really it. Um, and I think over the last five years or so, we've seen some businesses that have just been more ideas. And I think a lot of people get swept up in what could be or what could happen. And so much of the time that goes wrong and you lose money, which is a really big problem. Exactly. Uh, I mean, my biggest one is that you, when you think about being a business owner, you 
you think it's about cutting costs or maximising profitability, but the, the one thing that I think makes you a better investor or a better business owner is that it's really about growth. How do you either grow revenue or improve the service and, and build you know, competitive advantages that way? Yeah, yeah, and, and we get... Yeah. businesses. Yeah, we actually had some questions come through on how to uh, structure a business, um, which are great too. Maybe I'll talk about this one, which is probably topical to everyone in the room, which is have you used margin to help you achieve your financial goals sooner? And if so, how did you manage risk, particularly minimising the chance of a margin call? Now, let me just explain what this means. So for those of you that don't know, you can use debt to buy shares. And in fact, some financial planners and some experts will tell you that that's the way to do it. Um, and there are different ways to do it, but one of the things that we see a lot is uh, what we call margin loans. This is where if you log into your brokerage account, they might offer you a line of credit. But the problem is when, those, when your shares fall, there's an automatic rule that triggers and they sell your shares. And if you've been investing long enough, you know that they go down as well as up. Yeah, I think we gave up our ability to advise on margin loans because I think they're, they're generally they tend to be expensive and, and accelerate risk rather than help you manage money better. And I think a big part of that was our experience investing through the GFC. So 0809 and you were getting you know, calls from margin, margin calls every other day. And it, I think it made it more difficult for people to make informed decisions and broke the kind of idea that you need to keep compounding um, being where we ended up. Uh, yeah, and the, I mean, there's the, the thing that Drew's referring to here is that when you get a loan for one of these things, um, they're very expensive, so they can be five, well maybe not five anymore, but eight, ten, twelve percent interest. So meaning that if you invest, if you think about it, you have to earn more than that for it to make sense, right? Uh, which is pretty hard. And that's why we see a lot of people structure their, their affairs so that the loan is actually against their mortgage, so they just redraw their mortgage and invest that, and that's, like, a lot of people do that. Uh, and in terms of the managing risk, component, that's probably what we see as the most common, commonly prudent strategy rather than say one of these loans you get from, I won't name names, Comsec or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. An expensive form of debt and then it doesn't necessarily help the behavioural side of investing at the same time. So we had a question come through, that was from Joshua, we had another one come through from Gianni who asked, how often should I review or rebalance my investments? And we've, I think, what I say, proudly boring before. Mm -hmm. I think we've found the, you know, the most successful or professional investors tend to review their portfolios at least every quarter, whether that's a massive global pension fund or, or the future fund, and we kind of bring that to our own uh, business. And I think part of that's around this idea of, that we all talk about, which is buy low, sell high, and by reviewing it more regularly, I think a lot of groups only review once a year, I think by reviewing it more regularly, you've got the ability to, to have a look at your portfolio objectively, uh, and then look to rebalance, so buy the things that have fallen and sell the things that are doing well, or parts of them anyway. So it brings kind of rigour around rebalancing in the way you think about managing your money and resetting your objectives. Mm. Uh, I would probably tweak that a little bit, or maybe slightly Daily. disagree. Um, so I would say that, and this is something that, uh, you and Jamie have kind of impressed upon me a little bit, is it's not so much about, people get hung up on these rules, this is just my opinion, People get hung up on these rules like three months, six months, a year, whatever. Why not just make it when it's out of balance, you rebalance it? Like rather than overcomplicate it. Like if, it, if, you, if you want to invest 80% of your money in shares for whatever reason, um, and it goes to 90%, well, rebalance it. 
Um, and you did used to have, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. We, still, we have those rules that kind of sit outside. So if we, we talked about strategic asset allocation, but asset allocation is essentially building a portfolio that will help you meet your objective, whether that's income or growth and combining the two. Uh, so we have rules around if, if things go outside of 5%, so if you've got, you're supposed to have 35% Australian shares, but you have 40, then you look to trim that back. Uh, and we also apply that during periods of market stress. So in, in, during the pandemic, I remember packing up our desks, sitting there and sending out advice to 150 families, telling them to sell bonds and buy the S&P 500, essentially. Mm. And, and solely, not because we like the S&P 500, but solely triggered by how we were managing that portfolio and we were, we were rebalancing. It was almost an automatic decision. How do you remove emotion from it? That's, and that's the thing. So the, when you get your portfolio structure set, um, it's actually shown that it's during the times of most uncertainty when it, it pays to be forward thinking about this, like just to have a plan set in advance and it will add the most value to your wealth over time. That's probably where most of the value and advice comes from. It's not picking the next stock or, or Pilbara or whatever it happens to be, but it's like you're not yeah, reducing those mistakes <laughs> or crypto. Yeah, just, it's, about, it's about being exposed to them, right? You can have all of those things in your portfolio, sure. Yeah. Um, but it's just about being exposed to them. So Stephanie sent through a question, Drew, you're pretty fashionable, you might know the answer to this. Um, noting continual price rises and scarcity in some cases, is investing in designer bags a good investment? Isn't this a question for Mel? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah Mel, Mel, Mel don't, yeah, she's got this covered. The answer's always, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Saint Laurent, yeah. Okay, if we're enablers here, that's fine. Generally, they hold value, though, because they're scarce. Yeah, yeah. So who's... Wrote in with the name I shall shirt, uh, I sell shirts on Amazon. Right <laughs> here we go. It's a reveal. We're going to get a reveal. Wait, hold on a second. This what's is a nudity happening around? Finn. Really? Wait, what does that mean? What does Finn mean? Finnish. Finn Fluencer. Is that what you? Number two. He's referring to you being number two. Oh, yes. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I don't know if it was. Kind of, it's, yeah, I don't know if it was very kind of them to say, but they named me as the number two Finfluencer in the country. And I, was, it's not, I don't think it's a good thing. And Drew's a finance bro, just in case anyone was wondering. Um, okay, so your question was, and now I get it now. Okay, I get it. Um, your question was for Drew, who's a financial advisor. Um, you've, you've heard him speak about uh, this quite a few times. With a focus on the next 5, 10, 15 years, how do you see AI... <laughs> stitch up. Stitch up. How do you see AI and bot programming changing the financial services industry? I personally believe it will make investing easier, financial services become more affordable, and pure investor numbers increase. I did prepare some notes for this one, but completely forgot them. So. <laughs> I think, like most, I mean, we employ something, I think we've got 44 staff across our business, most of them between 25 and 35. Uh, and when everyone was thinking, you know, ChatGPT appeared in December, everyone was wondering what was going to happen, it was just going to be a fad. And then as we walked through our office, every second computer at least was using ChatGPT. So I think it's going to change so many industries. Uh, and financial services is a big one. There's still a lot of regulation. It's kind of the reason advice feels seems so expensive and uh, unaffordable for it, uh, from some perspective. Uh, is that there is a lot of regulation that goes around providing that advice and I think it will help. There is talk of that being uh, loosened for, for, the, for the better, I think. Um, but I think you, you'll see huge amounts of the back office reporting uh, and all those 
you know, platforms and those sort of things becoming cheaper and cheaper um, and allow groups like us to provide more, more efficient, scaled, so we call scaled advice, more issue, you know, issue specific, so a contribution or a, a rollover or a pension rather than having to do it all in one. Yeah, and we're seeing some of that, yeah. that change now. Um, I would say that, to who, who got the book in their prize, um, the Jim Simons book, The Man Who Cracked Wall Street or something like that, up the back there, yes, of course. Um, so this Jim Simons, this is a show of hands, does anyone know Jim Simons, who that is? Okay, we've got about five hands, that's good, I can uh, help you, fill you in on that. So Jim Simons is this uh, mathematician who used to work for uh, the CIA and used to work for the FBI. He actually got fired because he wrote a letter saying something, something, something to the FBI director. And uh, yeah, it was something like, he was basically calling him out saying this is a massive issue. This was during the Cold War. He would crack codes against Russia for the Americans. And then he thought, well, I could use all this knowledge now that I'm not really doing this FBI thing and use all that knowledge to go and create like algorithms that would trade on Wall Street. And a lot of people credit Warren Buffett as being the greatest investor of all time, probably is. But this guy managed to achieve, I think it was about 36% returns for 30 years. Um, and he, I don't think he ever had a negative year. So what he would do is he would identify patterns in data. And I remember one example was like, if it was sunny in Paris, would the stock market go up? And he would take weather data and try and run that across the stock market. And my point is that we now, this was like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we now talk about this as if AI is a thing, machine learning is a thing now. He was thinking about this 30 years ago. So if your investment strategy and the way that you think you're going to create wealth is to do that and to use these types of things, I think you should just know who you're competing against. And so for me, I think the best way to think about investing is a behavioural pursuit rather than uh, necessarily a pure numbers game. So in terms of changing the industry, yes, I think it will change the industry. I think it will change the world. But I don't think it will fully replace a lot of what goes into making a company great. Yeah, and part of that goes to passive investing probably as well. Now that's becoming more, more high-powered and tech-driven. Um, and that's why I think there was a story that came out recently that said one in six fund managers will not, not exist in five years' time. So there's super, a lot of competition and, and AI is part of that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and cost and fees falling everywhere, which you're seeing thanks to ETFs helping to do that as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, so Toby sent in a statement, uh, less of a question, more of a comment. Thanks, for the, thanks to the Australian Investors Podcast, I went to the PIFA website and found myself three local independent financial advisors. I interviewed them all, chose one, and received some top advice. I don't think this was true. That's good. Uh, it has been a universally positive experience. I was looking for some uh, answers on a very specific question about superannuation, but have ended up with my insurances all reviewed, my core investment portfolio drastically simplified, my mortgage debt recycled for tax efficiency, and my superannuation question answered, and then some. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Thanks to Owen, Drew, and adjunct Professor Derrimuth, for all your hard work. Drew, who no. is, who is, prof, 
who is adjunct professor Derivath? I was trying to stitch you up. I think it was one of our early podcasts. So we we, we welcome kind of weird and inappropriate names. <laughs> then have to adjust for them. Uh, and Owen was uh, known for some out there stock picks at the time. So I wanted to ask him one of his poor stock picks without sounding mean and saying it from me. So I just changed like two letters in my name, Drew Meredith, to Andrew Derrimuth, but it took me about 35 minutes to realise I'd done it. <laughs> and if you listen to the episode, you hear when he clicks at the end. Yeah, so there was a, yeah, he obviously submitted the joke under a fake name. Um, but anyway, yeah, how's your shareholding in Zip going? Thanks. I think that was it. Oh yeah, okay, great. So we do have losers and we do acknowledge them, um, and that's part of it. That's a golden rule too. What's that? No, not everything will go right. You're always going to have losers. If you don't have losers, you're not diversified. Okay. Don't want sure. losers as big as 80% though. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I just put myself in it. So. <laughs> So Zip is the company that does uh, buy now, pay later, for those of you who don't know. Dubbers is the company that does buzzwords. So um, is it best to sign up for DRP, dividend reinvestment plans, or to take the dividend as cash and reinvest myself in other areas? So this question is from Luke. And by the way, for those of you that don't know what a DRP is, you can have your shares that pay dividends, or you can have your ETFs that pay you distributions like cash, and you can automatically have that reinvested for you. And a lot of people opt for that. Is anyone in the room opted for dividend reinvestment plans? So probably... 40%. Tough crowd. Good news, bad news. <laughs> well, as I kind of mentioned before, we're very big on this rebalancing and, and reviewing quarterly. And as part of that, we don't like the, the autonomy that comes with being forced to reinvest in that company. The, the risk we see when we're managing portfolios over a long period of time is if you if one particular part's doing incredibly well, if it's a stock or a, or a global equities, then you end up quickly overweighting that part of your portfolio and then end up having to sell it. Um, and then... You know, historically, our business, we didn't have platforms at the time when we were running it, so you can imagine all the data entry that comes with putting DRPs for 150 uh, families and 15 stocks each, probably, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is more of a, it makes it life easier. Okay, yeah, right, I got it. Yep, okay. Um, so there was a very big question sent in, um, and I'm going to just skip to one of them that I thought. So, and then we'll open it up to questions. Uh, this one was, what do you think about the current valuation of Australian stocks? And they go on to say there's a price earnings ratio, which is the valuation metric of 17.1, question mark. Uh, of the ASX itself? Yeah, so this is about, are Aussie shares expensive? Should I be we're, investing there now? We're pretty much underperformed. I mean, compared to NASDAQ, we're probably cheap, but we're pretty much under, underperformed uh, most other markets. Uh, and I think in every market, there will be pockets of opportunity. So when you look at the ASX 200, it's about 30, I think it's 45% in two sectors. So uh, certain sectors have driven the ASX for the last 12 months, but there's a lot of sectors that have dragged. I think there's I think nine of the 11 sectors have dragged. So I think there's always going to be pockets of opportunity and um, the valuation at the headline level doesn't represent every part of the market. It's yeah, still, still appropriate. Not a bad answer, I'll give you that. Um, so, uh, over the long term, like 10 years or more, if we're talking about statistics, there's data scientists in the room, I'm sure have a better understanding of this than me. Um, over the long term, so 10 years or so, what we see in the data is that the impact of valuations and the price you pay is significantly reduced. So what I mean by that is the longer you invest, the less you have to pay attention to valuation. So in this case, if someone was saying, I'm going to invest for the next 20 years, I would say, well, don't overthink it. Just 
keep investing. Um, and that's it's it sounds simple, so people don't do it. Like they they oh it's so well, this guy's up on stage, he's meant to be a finance expert. He says just invest. <laughs> what? Um, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that, right? Well, most people are investing for thirty years or more, and and kind of forget that we get too focused on, I mean, the financial media, which yourself and Kato talked about a lot, it's very headline driven and there's more than enough reasons to sell everything every day. So mm. expand your, your time horizon and, and, and you think about it that way and you get a compound. And yeah, I did actually read a headline the other day that Dr. Andrew Derrickworth could be appointed to the RBA board soon. So watch this space, uh, watch this space. He did uh, Andrew Derrimuth did predict that interest rates would fall this year, and they've gone up three times. Three meetings <laughs> So keep that in mind. Okay, let's open it up to some questions. Just so you know, if you do ask a question, we, um, I might skip the mic, but I'll repeat it, and it may appear on tomorrow's Australian Investors Podcast. Be Raise kind, please. Yes. Uh, so I have always been stuck with uh, ETF, and very fewly dip my toes into shares and stuff. So. When you look into shares or companies like that, it's all the technical stuff like P&E ratios and all those technical stuff. So what gives you the edge would be some other information apart from technical values, right? That's what would give you like separated from the crowd. So how do you differentiate between like what is just a buzzword or what is what is trending? Okay, like it's all AI. Let's meet. Should I jump into it or would the AI would have a value? Or I'm just throwing AI as an example, but yeah. how, how do you differentiate between like is this something that's trendy or it actually has a value that I should look into the shares later on? Yeah, so the question is, uh, if there's like a theme and something you want to invest in, how would you differentiate between like a hype and something that's yeah, exactly that. yeah, real? Um, the key is understanding what your objective is as well. So you've talked about investing in ETFs as well as direct shares and they're, they're very different. You have an ETF, it's highly diversified and you start buying individual stocks and you need to be comfortable with, you know, uh, even if CSL can fall 10% in a single day. So are you comfortable with that level of volatility? Uh, and then if, if you are, you want to be reasonably diversified. And we, I mean, I keep saying boring. Um, we basically, you know, because our we're, we're very specific and then we work with retirees and it's all about smoothing retirement and generating passive income and some level of growth, uh, we're, we basically say we won't invest out of, outside the ASX 100. And you, what you really focus on is just finding quality companies and drawing on research from as many places as possible. It's, we're in a unique, position as a financial advisor that we can get research from 10 different companies and talk about any individual stock or, or idea. But there is a challenge and we see a lot of portfolios coming in uh, that exactly what you're saying is you need to ask the question when you're buying something, how does that fit or how does that improve what, I, what I'm already holding or is it just topical and, uh, and, and trending at the moment? So how does it fit, how does it overlap and is there an exit strategy uh, when you're buying it as well? Does anyone remember the the thing called Alta Vista? I think it was called. Did anyone remember that? Yeah. Does anyone want to shout out what it was? A search engine. A search engine. Exactly. It was I right. Myself, but it was a search engine. A search engine. Yeah. Exactly. Alta Vista. Uh, does anyone still use Yahoo to search the internet? No. No hands in the room. Okay. But show of hands, who uses Bing's Google? Bing's bad. Yeah. Okay. Who uses Bing? Okay. Cool. So, duck Duck Go. Yeah. Duck Duck Go. Okay. Privacy for sure. Uh, so there's like. So almost everyone in the room knows those two things, Bing and Google. In the early days, Alta Vista could have been the one. Uh, it could have been Yahoo. It could have been, I think there was like 200 of them. Who knows what was going to happen in search and Google ended up being a monster that just ate everything. Um, and the reality is that that's very, very hard to pick when you're in a hype cycle. It's incredibly hard. And I think 
there are so many books written on this to try and discover it. It's kind of like, you know, being a parent, there's a book for everything. Um, and there's no one right answer. But I think one of the things that I've come across is there's two options you have. You can use an ETF in effect, um, or you can pay a fund manager, so let's just say the same thing, where you cast a wide net, right? And you kind of get some of the best, you'll get Chrome, uh, and oh, sorry, no, Google search, and you'll get AltaVista. Some win, some don't. And over time, it's shown that around about four to five percent of stocks on the stock market are the only ones that add value. The rest don't, but those four to five percent outweigh all the losers. Um, okay, or you could also do individual stocks. And the way, the best model that I've got for thinking about this is rather than try and pick which one specifically and invest everything into that, is to just take more of a scattergun approach and have a little bit of each one and understand who's winning and when. And there's a fantastic book, if you haven't already heard me lecture about this book, a fantastic book written in 1997. So for the most of you, you will know that it's the dot-com boom. Right when it was happening, there was a book written in 1997 uh, called The Guerrilla Game, Investing in High Technology. You've heard me talk about this before. But in this one, what they do is they give you some principles to try and identify the companies in each industry that are important and those that aren't. And there are some very sim similar features of these companies. Um, and so, for example, in the early days of Google search, you could have realised that Google search was getting installed on other browsers, and so that was potentially a sign that others were giving up, and they were just letting Google do it for them. Um, and so you could then track the number of people that were using Google search, and then that would have given you an insight into, okay, now it's really happening, and that's what we call, to the name of the book, a gorilla. It starts to take all of the chimps' food, and it starts to pull it in itself. And winner takes most. Winner takes take most approach. Um, and that's not easy to do. There are some companies in Australia that exactly fit the gorilla methodology. And there's one called Ordinate. This is a business in Australia that does all the audio visual for shopping centres. So in the times gone by, you would see a microphone like this, maybe on, an, on a cable. And this company invented a system that allows it to be sent over the internet. Um, and then every company in the world just adopted their standard, and so now they just pay automate. And that was another example of a company that was real, people were using it, and everyone, was, everyone in the industry was recognising it. And so that was a big tell. That's like one insight. I could go on for days, but I'll move on. And in the example, there's different things for different people. You're pursuing growth and, and you know, long-term compounding. Uh, and then our client portfolios, we want sector diversification, we want resilience against multiple economic outcomes. So if you've got 20 stocks and there's 11 sectors, you want to get at least one from each sector. You're definitely on, you, you're living up. The, the boring side of things is working out. Um, no, but you can see that Drew, Drew answers um, the questions from the perspective of someone who builds portfolios, um, who's kind of like looking at all asset classes and really thinking about that. I answer it, my bread and butter is as an analyst. So I'm, of course, going to use the tools that I have available to answer the question. Um, and that's why it probably works on the show, to be honest. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, a few more dubbers and we'll be right, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we've got a few still here on the, in the bank, but maybe we've got time for um, two more? Two, one or two more? Okay, yeah. Um, my question, I suppose, We look back on the past. Um, the, the, some of some of the true visionaries that changed the world: Steve Jobs, um, Bill Gates. You know, going forward, we're now talking AI. You know, the imports of Google and all these almost 
you know, faceless, like things that we're not really sure who's pulling the levers and that. Um, I know in there's always that focus on um, understanding who are running these companies and, and what their credentials are and what their track record is. How do we weight the, I suppose, the importance in terms of the individuals? Because are they the true visionaries or is it the technology as AI continues to learn in terms of what is going to be driving the next you know, generation? Is it going to be the AI technology or is it still going to be those true visionaries in terms of the Bill Jobs, Bill Jobs Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, those types So of is it still important, if I summarise, is it still as important to find the people that create these amazing companies and services that we use yeah, because of the rise of AI? Yeah, and just how we, how we evaluate that in terms of placing importance on it when we're making our decisions. Yeah, for sure. I think everything is going to be dominated. I mean, everything is dominated by tech at the moment. And I think it's probably less about the person and how those technology shifts occur. Um, it's probably getting deep, but, <laughs> but we've seen most technology involves in like step changes. All of a sudden, you know, ChatGPT arrived and then it had the most users in, in history in the shortest period of time. So all these things happen in step changes. They're incredibly difficult to predict um, from the portfolio perspective, we basically try and, if we think technology is an important part of portfolios, we try and find people that are specialists only in that. You know, Kathy Wood, you could say, could be one, but similar to Dubber, I think, and zip most of those stocks about 70%. Uh, but there's some really good ones in Australia, you probably, I think you've interviewed Nick, Nick Griffin, who was someone who was able to see Amazon, able to see Microsoft, Apple, you know, 25 years ago, and identify the opportunity then. So knowing you can't know everything and finding people that you think can bring that knowledge to it. I think uh, the AI conversation is really interesting and I would almost say that my personal belief is that we're in the hype cycle. So meaning that it's in a bubble. Like I think that a lot of what people think is important in this realm right now isn't, isn't important. So I'm probably contra to like a lot of the thinking right now because I think as someone who I've described myself as a rookie programmer and build things, I use it to help me program and to help me write things, but it doesn't replace the original thought that I have to have to want to do something. And um, when I look at companies, what I'm looking at is I'm not looking about like what's in the data today. Like I don't pull up Zero's financial statement and go from two years ago, oh, two years ago it was pretty cool, or last year it was pretty cool. I actually think, well, what's not on the balance sheet? Like what's not on the profit and loss? What's going to happen in the future? And that imagination is probably the part where I think humans still have the competitive advantage when it comes to predicting the future. Um, obviously, we get it wrong. Um, but I, that's what I try and think about a lot is, at the end of the day, I'll come back to what we started with, which is that a business is just something that charges more than it costs to deliver for that product. And at the end of the day, the humans still make those decisions. So unless the, you see the AI, unless you see Sophia walking down the street, <laughs> just taking some time out of the UN to go down there and then be like, oh, I'll grab, yeah, I'll grab a croissant, please. Like, when we see that, then we could probably start to think, well, okay. But in the meantime, it's still going to be the human that walks down there or gets the AI to walk down there and grabs the thing. Um, so that's what I'm focusing on is like the human element. And I think even more than ever, it's more important to have that uh, human element. You could rebut this and you could say, well, Steve Jobs died and Apple is bigger and better than ever. So how important was he? Um, and that's probably a fair criticism, but I could spend an hour talking about why that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But 
Um, I'll, end, I'll end that there. It's a great question. I think we could all be wrong. I, all, all I be think wrong. the winners kind of come out of nowhere as well. It wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft, you know, Alphabet, and all these companies keep winning because they're buying so many small companies that you don't know about. Like, I think Instagram was acquired, YouTube was acquired, all these, you know, you know, life change, not life changing, probably for the negative, but kind of business changing uh, events were acquisitions that didn't mean much at the time. So it wouldn't surprise me if the winners keep winning and you have some more come up underneath. Yeah, before we go time for one more quick question. Uh, yes, right at the back. So the question yeah, is, yeah. yeah, what? How do you know? Like, how do you keep abreast of the market? How do you think about the world as an advisor? Exactly. I mean, we rely on years and years of, of research that come with the asset allocation part. But the, the day to day part is incredibly powerful, and we read and create content and write about it all the time. One of uh, our business specifically, we saw this this uh, potential risk that a lot of the investment decisions were driven by myself and my business partner Jamie. So we. There's a, uh, they're called asset consultants in the industry, so they help advise super funds, pension funds, all the largest investors how to manage their money, and they do a lot of research. So we invested in a, instead of hiring, we bought um, an asset consulting firm, and they've got connections you know, in, in every part of the market with all kinds of, uh, of research, and, and that basically feeds in. So they're doing statistic, statistical analysis, they're doing um, yeah, longevity analysis are looking at different, you know, where are the which asset classes look the most attractive over the next five, 10, 15 years. So, a lot of data driven and, and not just us. But then, I mean, a lot of our day to day work isn't about picking the next stock or the next fund, uh, it's more about making sure our clients don't, you know, diverse enough not to sell when things go wrong or kind of help them minimize the mistakes on the way along. So, they'll read everything. So. My question is, like, for all of us, what well, I can answer that. Listen to us? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. every Saturday morning, 7am. And the property podcast every Sunday morning at 7am. I write a daily update, so you're welcome. That might, that yeah, that's on the website as well. Yeah. That's very short-term market-driven. Um, but we read Financial Review like everyone else, Bloomberg, The Economist. We have, we've got probably 15 uh, sources of, of research, some overseas, some local, some of it's geopolitics, some of it's economics. Um, what are the available things like Morningstar in Australia are quite good. Yeah. Um, that's, just a, that's probably 250 bucks, 300 bucks, and you get research on basically every big ETF managed fund and stock in Australia. Uh, that's, I would, yeah, so I, being I would say of what the, yeah. And wary of what the, you know, every product or every subscription will have a, an end goal, so being wary of what you're what you're buying and it's you know not high you know trading a lot or they're not trying to get an outcome for you they're trying to provide information. Yeah. Um, I can probably off stage I can probably give you a better list. <laughs> so, so yeah. So um, in our investment philosophy at Rask, I was re recapping it uh, today on the plane over here and um, at the top of the investment philosophy page I wrote this quote from Jason Zweig which says uh, I'm paid an annual salary to write the same thing 250 different ways every year and hope that my editor won't notice. And that's because, and he's a famous journalist, by the way, and he wrote some great books. Um, and that's because the best advice on investing very rarely changes. 
But what you see in the news is those who want to grab your attention and sell you something. So what we find is probably, and, and Drew referenced this, but without referencing it specifically before, when portfolios are built around, debatable, but around 90% of the return that you will get from your investments over the next 30, 40, 50 years won't come from which stocks you pick. It won't come from which ETF you pick. It won't come from which property you buy. It will come from just being exposed to investing. And that is a big piece of fundamental research that people don't understand. They think they need to pick this, that, and they're going to do fine. For the most, like the majority of the population, it doesn't really matter. You're sounding boring. I know, I'm going back towards him. Buy stocks, no, I'm kidding. It's the truth though, it's it's proven over time. It's proven over many decades. Asset allocation is there to provide diversification, so some things will perform well, some things won't, but ultimately you won't feel like you have to sell when another pandemic hits or or when the GFC hits, and even you'll have the opportunity to rebalance um, if you're holding the the right mix of assets at the time. Um, So just to give you some practical examples you can take away tonight, Uh, I use Morningstar a lot, um, it's the only, oh, I pay for a few subscriptions, but it's the one that I use the most. It's about 350 bucks. We did an interview not too long ago where you can get like 50% off. It's uh, with Mark LaMonica. Um, so I use that all the time, but I don't use it to make informed decisions. What I use it for is to make my own decision and then read what these intelligent investors have to say to then see if I got something wrong, like something glaringly obvious. Um, the second resource that I would probably throw out is... Um, in Australia, there's an app called Stocklight. It's a pretty big investment app, and it sends you push notifications. You can create a watch list, and anytime there's a big piece of news or there's like an annual report, it automatically sends you that. And it's the same for ETFs. It will tell you when the ETF is doing well and whatever. Um, there is, if you're paying for a subscription, if you're interested in shares, the Intelligent Investor who sponsors our show, full disclosure, they're pretty good. Um, it's about 600 bucks a year. Fund manager reports quite good too. Fund manager Even reports are free. Yeah. Find a fund manager that you think is really uh, good at what they do and you can get their report for free every month. Just subscribe to their newsletter. Uh, I feel like I've missed a lot. But, I mean, the library is a great resource as well for those things that are timeless. Um, yeah, fantastic. There's some books up here. I'm happy to share heaps more off air. So. Um, all right, that wraps it up for, for Drew and I. Um, we've probably gone over time. But we will have Evan and Kate up here with us in just a moment just to answer about 10 more minutes of questions. We will just purely take questions. You can direct them and you can tell us to debate things, whatever you want. Um, for anyone that's listening, Saturday morning, um, this is now. Um, we do appreciate you listening in. Am I doing a dad joke? Or... Oh, yes, you need to do a dad joke. Quick, get this up. Here we go. Yeah. So Drew is a dad, so this is, he's qualified for this. Um, did you get something? It's not very good, I'll be honest. I usually These are the best ones. Life. These are the best ones. Here we go. It's your PhD in dad jokes. Yep. I wish. <laughs> Time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> Thank you for your questions. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.